Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. the ACC football podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. As you all may hear right here off the top, the power cord finally, finally shipped for my mixer. I'm going to sound a bit better from here on out. Appreciate you all uh, for bearing with me as I dealt with my issues with the power cord for my mixer. I will no longer be recording off of the computer microphone, so I'll be sounding much better from here on out. So appreciate you all again for bearing with me for a lot of these season previews, including this one um, that I also recorded off of my computer microphone late last week with Emily Liker of Syracuse.com. Emily is a first-time guest on this podcast. As you all have known, if, if you've been listening to us for a while, we've had Nate Mink on from Syracuse.com. Uh, who used to be the beat writer for The Orange, but he moved into an editor role with the website, and they hired Emily this past summer, and Emily was fantastic. Um, We talked for about a half hour about Syracuse football heading into year seven with Dino Babers. It's been an interesting run um, from the 10-win season with Eric Dungey. It feels like half a decade ago, because it is. It's it's been five years since that unbelievable 10-win season that Syracuse had. Since then, they've had a run of three, four, five win seasons. They've had a one win season in 2020. It's been an interesting run. Um, five and seven, five and seven in 2019, one and 10 in 2020, uh, five and seven last year. It feels like Dino Babers needs to make a bowl game to keep his job. We all know how tough a job Syracuse is, but Dino Babers and his staff, it, it's been a rocky run there up there at Syracuse. So we talked to Emily about the longevity of Dino Babers whether or not this really is a make-or-break year. Um, I I don't want to spoil too much, but we both believe that it is. And also whether or not Syracuse can get to a bowl game. It's a pretty talented team that they have returning. Um, A a lot of starters that got experience last year that, you know, played pretty well, especially in the second half of the year. We all know about Sean Tucker. We know about Garrett Schrader. But Syracuse's defense might be the best unit that Dino Babers has had there in Syracuse in quite some time. So we get into that as well. Quick programming note for you. Um, You guys are listening to this podcast on Tuesday morning, the 30th. We have one more season preview to discuss. Uh, It's the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, So we'll be getting into the Miami preview. Um, But first, I think you guys, just from a scheduling standpoint, I think you guys are going to hear our week one preview. We're bringing in Tony Syracuse, last word on college football. He's great. Encyclopedia, just absolute gem of a guy. Um, We're going to bring him on to help us break down and preview um, week one in the ACC. We had two week zero games. We'll recap those quickly. Um, But then we'll talk about week one in the ACC. Joey will be back with some predictions. He's still out on paternity leave, of course, with a newborn. Any of you with young kids know what that's like. I was just on paternity leave for this podcast as well. Uh, So He'll be back soon, um, but he'll definitely be dropping in his picks, any locks that he has. So you can still hear from Joey on that week one preview podcast. Um, but, yeah, I think this week, you know, week one in the ACC coming up, really exciting. 
So you'll hear the Syracuse pod today, then you'll likely hear the week one preview, and then you'll hear the Miami season preview as well later on this week. So be on the lookout for that. But without further ado, uh, let's hear from Joey on his prediction for Syracuse football in 2022. And then let's listen to my interview with Emily Liker. I find myself wondering a little bit what makes Syracuse different in 2022 from what it has been in 2021 and most of the years under Dino Babers so far. Uh, Dino's entering year seven uh, at the helm of Syracuse. He is currently 15 and 35 in ACC play. Only one of his six years so far has his team won more than two games in conference. Um, it's it's a, a tough situation. We've talked about it quite a bit. I mean, it's it's a team in upstate New York trying to compete with the ACC with teams that are in, in much more talent-dense and talent-rich areas. Um, they've done a decent job of scheduling. I mean, you're out of conference at UConn, Purdue, Wagner, and then you get your requisite Notre Dame game, but you're going to be playing that. Well, you get that one at home. I, but at the end of the day, I mean, you get Garrett Schrader back, you get Sean Tucker back. He, he's a, you know, one of the best running backs in the ACC and, and decidedly the best Twitter account in the ACC. Um, so make sure you go tune into that, you know, in, in case you're looking for good Twitter follows, but I just, I mean, this team in what it's been, it's, it's been a rough situation. They finished last year five and seven, but only two and six in conference. They kind of changed their identity on the fly last year as Garrett Schrader really took over the offense and it became a run-heavy system. They bring in a new offensive coordinator in Robert Anai, who was the guy who was running a bunch of wild stuff really the last couple of years at Virginia. I I don't know if the plan is to continue running wild stuff. Probably not, but run-heavy, I mean, does that translate well at this point for Syracuse? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I... I'm not sure what to make of all this, and and it it feels like we're getting to the point of either either Dino's going to be gone, or it confirms that Syracuse's administration, at least, is really not concerned about wins and losses on the football field. Um, we've talked a lot about how it's probably not a Dino problem; it's probably more of a Syracuse problem. But like at the end of the day, like the checks cash, like he's not going to he's not just going to quit. I don't suspect. Um, and so the question becomes: Is Syracuse really committed enough to? Uh, make a change and at least try something different. I don't really know. I don't have high hopes for this. Um, I I really don't. I I think this is a little bit more of the same. This is probably like four and eight. I I think they're probably bringing up the rear in the Atlantic division. I mean, I look at the other teams and I mean, do I think that they can finish in front of Louisville, NC state, Clemson, Florida state, Wake Forest or Boston college? Nope. No, I don't. I don't. So I, I have no ill will here. You know, I, I, I hope it works out. I wish it would work out for Dino Babers. Uh, that, that team back in, what was it, 2017 was an absolute hell of a lot of fun. Sorry, 2018, that, that Eric Dungey team. Um, I mean, that was a ton of fun. They went 10-3, and 6-2 and two in conference. They finished 15th. I mean, I, I loved watching their games. That was an absolute outlier under Dino Babers and his time at Syracuse. I, I wish there would have been more like that, but unfortunately there hasn't been. I, I feel like I would be fooling myself a little bit to to try to lie to myself and tell myself that this is going to be something different than it has been the last several years. So I'm going to go with like four and eight, probably one and seven in conference. I don't even think they're going to be all they're going to be able to compete with most of the teams on their schedule. We'll see. We'll find out. But I do not have good feelings about Syracuse. Let's go four and eight. And uh, I think this is maybe it for Dino Babers. And if not, I think it tells us a lot about where Syracuse's administration is at. So hopefully it goes better. 
but I just don't I don't get good vibes. But hey, go orange. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, they've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official tech gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go, go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or anywhere else. You're in the Thriller Dome. You're at uh, McCamish Stadium. You're at uh, the Rusty Sea. You are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech. Go to section103.com. They have great products. They are all officially licensed. Got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. All right. So as I mentioned in the pre-roll, we usually have Nate Mink on from Syracuse.com. Nate has moved into an editor role. So he gave me Emily Likers information, who is the beat reporter for Syracuse football. Emily, welcome to the podcast. First time guest. Um, Thank you for joining us today. How's it going? Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. Happy to join. And it's going well. All right, so Syracuse football is in a really interesting spot here. Dino Baber's going into year seven. He's made one bowl game. That was back in 2018. Um, it's really been kind of a weird, I would call it a weird tenure because they had the Eric Dungey year, which was awesome. You know, make a bowl game, you know, finish in the top, you know, AP top 15 at season's end after the bowl game. And it really felt like Dino was building something. They went four and eight his first two seasons, 10 and three that year. And now everybody is kind of thinking, okay, maybe Syracuse does have a higher ceiling as program now that Dino Babers is the head coach. Successful two years at Bowling Green. Now he's won 10 games at Syracuse, something nobody thought could be could be done, right? In the in the 20s, in the 2000s, right? But since then, it's been five and seven, that one in 10 COVID year, then five and seven again last year. But it felt like towards the end of the year, Syracuse started to build something a little bit offensively with the emergence of Sean Tucker. Garrett Schrader got more comfortable at quarterback. How's the fan base feeling about Dino? This feels like a make or break year in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I've I've tried to stay pretty tapped into what the fans are thinking mostly through Twitter and what I see on there. Um, and I, I think you're right. It is a make or break year for him. Obviously back in July, we got to talk with John Wildhack uh, as he did his kind of like end of the 2021 wrap up. And it was interesting because at that press conference, he was very adamant that Dino was not on the hot seat, which I guess like you never, and an AD never wants to say this far ahead of the season that, a coach is on the hot seat, but I think it surprised a lot of people that he said it so openly and so confidently. I don't think he's probably as confident about that as he made it seem publicly. I think 
if Syracuse has another season below 0.500 this year, Dino probably won't get kept around and they might just take the big pay hit that's that's going to give them. I think reporting has shown that it's going to be like $10 million to pay out Dino if they fire him. So it's very much a make or break year. I think Dino will probably be able to tough it out and make it to that 0.500 mark and keep his job. I don't think they would fire him if he does have a winning season, even if it's a rocky one. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of situation plays out. All right. So six and six is the goal. And it feels like they have at least the pieces on offense to do it. A lot of talent coming back, obviously highlighted by Sean Tucker and the year he had last year, rushing from almost 1500 yards, 12 touchdowns, Garrett Schrader returns. And he was, he's proven he's a weapon on the ground, 14 touchdowns rushing. Passing was up and down, but it does feel like Syracuse found something, especially in the back half of the 2021 season. They're trying to ride forward here in 2022. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was one thing I kind of picked up on coming in as I was both doing some research in my hiring process for this job. And then once I had gotten it and started taking over the beat was that I noticed the returning personnel. I mean, you mentioned offense, but obviously on defense, there's a lot of good returning players as well. I mean, Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut, I think, are set to be a very dynamic duo in the secondary and probably one of some of the most dynamic cornerbacks in the ACC this season, Michael Jones coming back was obviously a huge, huge deal. So I really think that experience and kind of the strength that those players had last year getting carried into this season will be what can push Syracuse to that, that over 0.500 mark. Offensively, I mean, Derek Schrader, I know his passing kind of has come into question. I mean, how confident does Dino Babers and his staff feel in Garrett Schrader, the passer? Because obviously he's a dynamic rusher. He's proven that he can do that. Um, but I think that the question for Schrader coming into the year is, okay, can he take another step forward in the passing game? You know, how does the staff feel about his ability with his arm? Because he does have certainly some receiver talent coming back. And obviously having Sean Tucker's a big help in the backfield. Yeah, so really the only staff we get to talk to is Dino. So he's that's really the only coach's perspective we've got. Um, and I mean, even before camp had started back at ACC kickoff in July, Dino was very adamant that Schrader's passing game had improved. He spoke very highly of him, both in the development of his physical skills, but also like his leadership skills and his connection to this team. I think Schrader was in an interesting position last season because obviously DeVito was kind of vying with him for the starting role at the beginning of the season. And then Schrader kind of got fully thrown into it at that week four game. And so that's, that's a tough spot to be in, especially when you're transferring into a program and haven't just been there your entire career. So I think Schrader from everything we've heard and from what I saw at camp has definitely strengthened his passing game. I think the most recent praise we heard about, the work he's done was that Dino really felt that he had improved his long ball, which I don't feel we saw enough of during camp to like make a definitive statement on that. I will be curious to see how much they do downfield passing uh, during games, but Dino said he was confident about it. So I can at least say that much. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I do feel like they have the the talent in the receiving core to push the ball down the field. It just feels like last year, 
I don't want to say that they they weren't comfortable, but I think it was just teams can't stop us running the ball. Why would we throw more than we have to with a guy that we're not all that particularly confident in pushing the ball down the field? Because like you mentioned, DeVito was supposed to be the guy last year who was supposed to be a starting quarterback, and he was for the first month, and things weren't going very well. And then it just felt like in in the middle of the season, like getting into like mid-October especially, just kind of a switch flipped, and then Syracuse offensively just decided we're just going to run the ball down people's throats. That's just how we're going to operate offensively. It was kind of a total schematic change in the middle of the season, and I do wonder now, now that you had the offseason to digest that as a coaching staff, I do wonder how balanced, how much more balanced does the offense look? I mean, how much, how reliant do you think they're going to be on the running game? It almost felt like they were over-reliant on it at points last year. Like, how much more balance do you think will be present in the offense this year? You know, I still think Sean Tucker is going to be, like, the MVP of this offense. Like, he's just clearly the guy for this program offensively. But yeah, balance has been a real kind of buzzword around this team in fall camp and heading into the season. Balance between the passing and the rushing games, I think that's something that's really a hallmark of Robert and I's new scheme that he's introduced. Uh, Heard it from Schrader, heard it from Tucker, heard it from some of the receivers. I mean, to your point about being overly reliant on the run game last season, I think that obviously worked out okay for them last season, but you do that again this year, every defense is predicting coming in that Sean Tucker is going to have the ball. So you have to come up with other options so that Tucker's not getting stuffed every play by like the Clemson D line and stuff like that. So I think they're going to try and balance it out a lot more, but I think Tucker will be part of that balance, not just in leading the run game, but I think they're also going to use him as a receiver a lot, or at least not as a receiver, but he's going to have a lot of receptions. Um, that was something that we saw throughout fall camp was a lot of Schrader to Tucker kind of goal line work. So That's totally fair. I, I want to ask you about, because Syracuse, it feels like almost every year at some point, even going back to Eric Dungy, like they've had to turn to the backup quarterback at some point. They have a really talented freshman quarterback in Justin Lampson that's gotten a lot of praise. How confident is the coaching staff in Lampson as a freshman you know, if Schrader were to go down, get nicked up, you know, he can step in and play because it does feel like there is some buzz around Lamson as the backup quarterback, not to necessarily take over the starting role from Schrader or anything like that, but it does feel like there's, there's a confidence in him, even though he's just a freshman seen as kind of the quarterback of the future. Yeah. Well, so Lamson got injured in the spring, so he's out for the whole season. The backup is Carlo Del- Carlos Del Real Wilson, who's transferred from Florida over the summer. Um, I mean, that hasn't been officially stated, but he was the one taking all the reps behind Schrader in camp. So pretty I mean, good I'm, indicator. Yeah, pretty confident. I mean, all the way through our last day of watching camp on Tuesday, Dino was still like, I'm not going to tell anyone like you guys don't get to know, but he was literally the only quarterback we saw doing work besides Schrader. So I think it will be Carlos Del Rio Wilson when the when the depth chart drops on Monday, I believe. But he looked pretty good. I mean, I think he has a pretty similar skill set to Schrader, where he can run the ball if he needs to. He can pass it. I don't think his arm is quite as steady or confident yet as Schrader's is. Um, there was definitely, I mean, on Tuesday we saw him throw two interceptions, so not something you want to necessarily see. But I think 
considering his age and the fact that he will just be a backup and will only have to come in if anything happens to Schrader, I think he's in a pretty good spot looking forward. It's a veteran offensive line group, several juniors, a senior on there as well. Like, I do feel like this is probably Dino Babers' best offensive line he's had in a few years. Um, I, I think he, he thinks that too. And having Sean Tucker run behind that offensive line has to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the key the key for the offensive line, which I kind of wrote about in my analysis I did last week, is that they have to stay healthy because that's been the biggest thing that has kind of kept them held them down in previous seasons is there's always someone who goes down with injury of really serious injury. Um, but yeah, this year they seem to have kind of five veterans in uh, Matthew Bergeron, Josh Ilaoa, Dakota Davis, Chris Bleich, and oh, I'm forgetting who the fifth is, but they have five guys that are solid up there. Dino says that kind of extends out to seven players. I would guess the other two are Enrique Cruz and Wes Hoa, who are some younger guys that really stepped up throughout camp. So I think that is who we will um, see kind of be in that offensive line position moving forward. But no, they looked good throughout camp. And I think the really interesting thing that they were doing in that position group is they were really having everyone shuffle around the line and learn each different position, which is going to be very important if they lose anyone is that they can bring a veteran over to a side that needs it more or whatever, instead of just having to throw someone in there that doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Kind of creating artificial depth in a way where somebody gets hurt, you know, that this guy knows the other position. So I think that definitely helps. We talked about the defense and I know, you know, Garrett Williams, Deuce Chestnut, they highlight a very young, but good secondary. They got, I think a lot of meaningful experience last year. I mean, there are guys in the secondary that have, have received significant playing time already and they're entering sophomore seasons. So I think Syracuse probably feels best about their secondary and linebacking group and probably less so about the defensive line. Yes, that would be an accurate, um, accurate assumption there. I mean, all eight of last year's starters between the linebackers and the secondary return. So it's hard to go wrong there. I mean, like Dino is pretty much just going to hit copy and paste on that depth chart and move it over, change maybe a couple names around. But yeah, I mean, having the leadership of Williams and Jones on this defense is just going to do wonders. I think even with the kind of rockiness of the defensive line, that's still kind of a position group, I think they're waiting to see how they can perform in game action. I think having Jones right behind them in their ears is really going to help. I mean, that's even something that one of the defensive linemen, Caleb Okachukwu, said is that it's really helpful to have Jones being like, hey, you guys missed this. You need to pick up that, whatever, in practice. Um, and I mean, Okachukwu is an older player. Like, he's been with this program, but he still hasn't had as many starts. He hasn't had to be the leader in that position group. So having someone else that can kind of take on that role for the entire defense, I think is, is really beneficial. How's the depth on the defensive line? Cause I mean, I know there are a lot of guys who graduated last year. Like how's the depth looking outside of the anticipated stars? You know, it's interesting because looking at it at the start, it was kind of, you have Okachukwu, Steve Linton and Terry Lockett, who kind of, were the clear th three guys who were going to be the starters. And then you got a lot of young guys who don't have experience. Uh, it's not super deep at that position. I will say that we did hear positive things about some of those younger guys, particularly 
Dennis Jacquez Jr., who's just a true freshman, like Michael called him out as a leader, which is really rare for a like senior player to say of a true freshman. So he's one guy that I am definitely going to have my eye on. I don't know that he'll necessarily get a bunch of reps early, but in some of those games like Wagner, or like maybe even Purdue, if Syracuse found itself up a significant amount, I would expect to see him in on that defensive line getting work in game action. It's interesting with Syracuse as a whole because I do feel like I feel like everybody just immediately gravitates towards, okay, they had the offensive staff changes with Robert and I and Jason Beck coming in as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, because Dino knows this is an important year, whether athletic director and, and everybody else says it's not, right? He knows it's a really important year, and everybody gravitates towards Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker. But I do feel like the defense really is going to be the strength of this team, even though Sean Tucker, I think, will be outstanding. Yeah, no, I mean, the defense has really been – what's kept Dino in in his job the past couple of years I think I mean it was before I got here but I believe even the, like kind of last season's end of end of the year press conference Wild Hack was kind of like Tony White's the only reason Dino Babers is still in a job that that's not the exact quote but it was something in that vein um, I mean I have literally only heard high praise for Tony White since getting here and looking into him and kind of just talking to various people in the program and outside of it. So, yeah, I mean, the defense is really the crux of this team. And if something were to happen to it, I think that would significantly change what the outlook of the season is. So looking at the schedule, because I, I want to keep in mind, like, again, like Dino's got to try to win six. I mean, you've already touched on that a few times. Like he's got to win six. Mm -hmm. Um and, and I look at this schedule, I mean, there are some winnable games on here in the first month, right? I mean, I look at UConn September 10th. I mean, I know Syracuse has had their struggles over the past few years, but they haven't been like UConn bad with the exception of, of a weird 20 day. I throw the COVID year out. You've got to throw 2020 out in a lot of ways. They haven't been UConn bad, right? So you go on the road. I understand it's a weird, a weird place to go play. That's a very winnable game in week two. Virginia really only returns Brian Armstrong. They got holes everywhere. Wagner, October 1st, very winnable game. But in my opinion, these first five games really dictate if Syracuse is going to get to six because the back half of the schedule gets significantly more difficult. Yeah, totally. And I mean, honestly, I really think it comes down to week one and and how Syracuse performs against Louisville. I mean, it's not often that you open against a conference opponent, let alone a conference opponent like Louisville, who Syracuse has a bit of a history with. I mean, Jones has brought up, Michael Jones has brought up several times that the last time Syracuse hosted Louisville at the Dome, I don't remember if they won or not, but the last time they Louisville was at the Dome was when Jones was on his official visit. So like the there's just like history there for this team that I think they really care about making this a big game. And I, I do think if Syracuse were to come out with a win against Louisville, that puts them on a map in the, a way that they weren't like in the preseason, if they lose, I think it people very quickly start to be like, Oh, okay. Syracuse is going to have another poor season, whatever. But I think you're also right about the other kind of games in those Op that opening stretch there. I mean, UConn, yes, I would say is probably the most winnable game on their schedule, maybe besides Wagner. Um, Purdue and Virginia, I think 
will likely both go in Syracuse's favor, though I could see them being a little scrappier than some of those other games. So, yeah, I mean, the first half of the schedule and the back half of the schedule are entirely different beasts. And I think Syracuse either enters that NC State game being really confident and having a lot of public support behind them or enters it kind of at the bottom of the barrel everyone's already checked out for the season and that's what i'm saying because i feel like if they and and they play five games before they hit the nc stretch right um i I do feel like if they are able to go at least three and two in that stretch i do think a bowl game is semi-attainable but I think you almost need to go. I, I think you almost need to go four and one. I mean, I look at the back half of the schedule. NC State October fifteenth is probably NC State's best team in a decade and a half. At Clemson, Clemson's Clemson, Notre Dame October 29th. At Pitt, who just won the ACC last year, returns a lot. Even though they don't have Pickett and they don't have uh, Jordan Addison, they do have a lot of talent returning. Florida State. Who knows? Wake Forest. Well, is Sam Hartman going to be healthy or not? And then at BC to close the year, which BC was up and down without Phil Jacobic last year when he was hurt. So it's like there are some toss-ups in the back half of the schedule, but there are a lot of losable games. And I feel like the, the most winnable games for Syracuse are certainly that those first five or six weeks. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, if Syracuse somehow manages to come out with a win in any of those games like that's like a huge marker of the season I I just really can't see them them winning any of them um especially I mean like the back-to-back Clemson and Notre Dame games like that's gonna be a rough rough bit of the schedule for sure um but yeah Florida State I mean I think that could be a toss-up and same with Boston College I mean if they came out of the first what is that I guess nine weeks of the season four and five, three and six, I think there's potential that they still make it to a bowl game. Um, Probably more likely if they're four and five than if they're three and six. Right. But um, yeah, it's really going to be about how those first five weeks go. Okay. So I got to ask you, do you have a record prediction? Are you allowed to give a record prediction? What do you got? Yeah, so I did. We did our season predictions this morning, me and Nate, and then our columnist Brent Axe. And I went six and six. In terms of like a ceiling and a floor, I I think the ceiling is only seven wins, and that would yeah. be really pushing it. Like I I think Syracuse gets to six and six, or they finish lower than that. Like I don't <laughs> right. think yeah. like they either finish point yeah. five hundred or they're lo- they're having a losing season. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like a ceiling, like. UConn and Wagner, I think, are the only completely guaranteed wins. And, of course, in college football, even guaranteed wins aren't actually guaranteed wins. Crazy stuff happens all the time. So six and six is what I'm rocking with. I do think there's enough energy and experience with this team that they will make a bowl game. I mean, so many of them have never had the chance to play in one that it's really started to come up as a theme even before week one that they want to make this bowl game. So I think I do think that has some some weight going into the season. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with six and six as well. I think Syracuse <laughs> makes a bowl game. I'm with you. I and I, I feel kind of like I'm going out on a limb a little bit saying that too, because 
I don't see how they win more than six. Yeah. Like that's the actual best. That's that's literally the best case scenario. But there's a ton of talent returning on the offensive line. You have a veteran quarterback, the best running back in the ACC for my money. I, I'd take Tucker over anybody in the ACC in terms of running backs. You have eight starters returning on defense. Like that's really significant. A really good linebacking core, a, a really good secondary return, a good young secondary for that matter returning. And a really good defensive coordinator, Tony White. Like I, it's funny because I always go and listen back. Like we we do these previews for all these teams, and we're coming towards the end here. We, we I always go back and listen to see like kind of what my takes were, and I'm I always seem like I'm incredibly more bullish like when I'm recording the individual podcast and when I like sit down and I do like all the ACC teams at once, and we do like our big season preview. I'm always more bullish when I do the individual previews and talk to all the beat reporters because they're giving me more information than I have from my preview magazines doing my own independent research. But I do feel like six wins, I'm with you. I think six wins is the ceiling. I think they get there. And I think it's going to all be predicated on the first five weeks mm -hmm. because I do think Syracuse could steal at least one of the final three games, right? Florida State at Wake at BC. Everybody wants to say, oh yeah, if, it, if Wake Forest has Sam Hartman, that, you know, they'll definitely lose that game. That was a three-point game last year. Like yeah. Syracuse was right in that game last year, and they're always right in the game against Wake Forest. Like it's always a really weird game for Syracuse, for um, Syracuse and for Wake. Like Syracuse, when they look like they're beaten down, they're always in that game. So I don't think Wake Forest can just walk over Syracuse like I think it looks like they should on paper. Um, so I think that game, even though it's on the road, and I think Sam Hartman will probably be healthy by mid-November. It's, it's kind of a toss-up game just because of how it's historically been played out the last five years. We don't know what Florida State will be in November. And then Boston College on the road, again, Syracuse plays BC tough all the time. So this is another situation where season finale, if you have a bowl game on the line, right? Like, if you're going to get to six, which in this scenario, we're, we're talking about Syracuse is a five-win team going into the final week of the year, if six is going to be the ceiling, that's a game Syracuse absolutely has to have. I could see Boston College, especially if they wrapped up a ball berth, they got seven or eight wins. I can see them rolling the helmets out and seeing what happens. That's a winnable game for Syracuse. So I think if Syracuse gets to gets to four wins in the first five weeks, which I think the least winnable game in that in that stretch is probably the opener against Louisville. But I think UConn's winnable, Purdue's winnable, Virginia and Wagner both winnable. I, I think I think UVA or I think uh, Syracuse can certainly get to six and six. My final question, my final question for you before we wrap up: Does Dino keep his job? You know, so the really interesting thing is a little bit of a, a, a background story. So when I was getting hired for this job, they had me do like a a state of the program type write up. They wanted to see what my thoughts were, yada yada yada. And I like was like, okay, and like start looking into it. And the very first thing I wrote down on on like paper was, why is this coach still in a job? Right. Like just looking at the numbers on paper, it it's like appalling that he managed to act, like stay around for multiple seasons after having a one in ten win season following such a good year in 2018 2019 um maybe that's just because I spent the past four years in the SEC where that would never fly um right. if if Missouri's coach had gone one in ten they would have kicked him out the door like immediately right. so right. yeah <laughs> it's a little bit of a different football culture up here but I immediately was like okay this is going to be a season where where Dino Babers really needs to figure out what's going on I 
looking at the numbers and how much it would cost and the way I think the rest of the staff and the players do regard Dino, I think as long as they make it above 0.500, he sticks around for another season, especially also looking at the fact that the scheduling model changes next year. Wild Hack put a lot of emphasis on that. He's like, oh, it's going to be like a whole new chapter for the ACC and Syracuse football. So I think if they they can make it to 0.500, Dino sticks around so they can see what he's like in this new model where they play a wider variety of ACC teams. And then they potentially reevaluate again after 2023. Because I mean, $10 million, even for a private university is a, a lot of money to pay out. And I I just don't know if they would do that if he manages to have a winning season. Yeah, I'm, I am I tend to agree with you because it does feel like it's the, the question has always been, is this more about Dino or is this more about Syracuse just being a really, really hard football job? Yeah. And I think it's probably a little bit of both at this point. But I do think if Dino makes a bowl game, um, I think they do probably keep him. They, they would have no reason not to, in my opinion, especially because they've been so close to out of the last three years. It's been real, the 2020 aberration, but 19 and 21, they've been so close to making a bowl game. So make a bowl game this year. I do think they probably move that forward. They're in the harder of the two divisions in the Atlantic. That goes away next year, to your point. Yeah, I, I think if Syracuse gets to six, like you and I just said, I do think that they probably keep Dino. Um, Emily, thanks so much for joining. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug where you're at on social media and, and plug, uh, plug Syracuse.com and do your thing. Yeah, so I am at E.M. Liker on Twitter. That's really the main place I am on socials doing Syracuse content. Um, not sure when this podcast is coming out, but our SU preview section drops in print this Sunday, but all of our content is already up online. So if you're looking for analysis, depth chart projections, a really fun story I did on Sean Tucker and his louder, goofier side that not a lot of people get to see. That is all up on our site now, and then we'll be in print on Sunday. So definitely check that out. Awesome, Emily. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll definitely have you on again soon. Perfect. Thank you, Mike.